0: Welcome to this week's Treasury Career Corner podcast, where I interview Treasury professionals about their Treasury careers. Each and every week, I talk to them about how they've built their careers, where they are now, where they see both themselves and the Treasury profession going to next. Let's get on with the show. This week's show, delighted to be joined by Tom Milligan. Tom has an amazing 30-year-plus career in Treasury with some amazing... Different companies, so we've got mining, transport, logistics, anything and everything in, in treasury. Tom's done it, so that's what we're going to go through. We're actually going to cover right the way from early start within finance and uh, IBM right through to now. Tom, I'm going to shut up. Let you take over the show, sir. How
1: did you first discover finance and then move into treasury? Over to you. Sure, and thank you, Mike, and thank you for inviting me onto your podcast. Pleasure. I actually enjoy listening to the series and I'm really pleased to be able to participate today. So, thanks again for that. Pleasure. I think you're doing something that that fills a gap for upcoming treasurers, but for treasury professionals with lots of experience as well. I personally found that useful. And I also enjoyed the humor that you've introduced. So,
0: try and keep chucking in the old gag, all those fan moves listening or sounded. A few of my gags he's taken out, but you know, you can't you can't have comedy like this. It's comedy gold, we know. But anyway. But well, take us back to the beginning. How did how did he first ever, you know, I know it was a couple of years ago now, but Ron dig into too much with dates. How did he first discover finance? Was that a drive for you or how did it work?
1: He originally qualified as a chartered accountant in in Scotland. And I really enjoyed that. I, I trained in Glasgow. With a good variety of clients it was a fairly small accounting firm at the time and the best part for me was the client interaction and me being able to lead the work processes across the spectrum You know that included audit of course financial statements preparation tax calculations and advice even returns to revenue and of course cash flow management prior to Being in the profession, I had actually worked for IBM for 16 months. That was part of my honours degree in business studies from Glasgow, Caledonia. When I looked back and compared both experiences, for me, working in industry was more enjoyable and more fulfilling. Hmm. That was really the beginning of my, what I would like to call my sector-hopping journey which ultimately led to a career in treasury before I even realized I was there. My first role leaving the profession back in the industry was with an engineering company. I was a divisional finance manager covering the USA, Australia, and Abu Dhabi. I'll come to that in a second. The second role was in biotech. It was very similar in the role I was performing, although I was covering then the UK, Denmark, Sweden, and Spain. So both of these roles, Did require accounting and reporting skills, obviously, that was my background. But critically, they required cash flow forecasting, cash flow management, and foreign currency risk management, I'll be be giving my age away here. But but with that, Tommy, so in a way, there were quasi or
0: had elements of Treasury. Before Treasury, you know, that's when, and again, this is, again, without... Well, given my age away, it's when I first was starting in Treasury recruitment, and Treasury itself was still, it was certainly adolescent, you know, so teenage. Treasury was starting to become a profession. The ACT was starting to, it was a different kind of form. That's the UK Association of Treasurers for our international guys. It was starting to develop, and you were getting, as you say, in those two roles, international exposure, but it wasn't actually called Treasury
1: then, or was it starting to? It was beginning to, I think by the time I got to Stagecoach, they were actually looking for a designated treasurer. I left the biotech role to move into Stagecoach. And one of the key factors in obtaining that role was that when I had been hired, one of my responsibilities was to take effectively 14 European currencies. Again, giving my age away, this was pre the euro. And selling that surplus foreign currency into US dollars to flow back to the US for the purpose of profit repatriation, I guess, but funding the biotech R&D, which was predominantly carried out in the US. Right. So my role was to gather up the surplus, spot transactions, sell that into dollars and ship it back. What I did was to develop a consolidated cash flow forecasting model and then I was then I arranged hedging lines with close banking counterparties to sell that surplus currency forecast forward so right away I was involved with counterparty credit risk that was on my radar right away you know would those counterparties be there be able to fulfill the transactions I was signing up so lo and behold my treasury career had begun not by design but by necessity so it wasn't called treasury as you say but it was though managing cash efficiently and with trying to create a greater predictability in the outcome of those transactions
0: i was gonna say when you were starting in that you were you know i sometimes talk to treasurers now you know and they're sort of i remember one of the guys a few years ago he used our podcast and was listening to about five or six of them where people had that checklist treasury now you know going back through you walk in it's a startup treasury you're our first treasury manager but now they can go on the internet they can get these checklists and look at right yeah look at cash management look at risk look at this and or also get professional qualifications whether that's in the uk the us across europe there are a wide range of them you were going into it without that framework without the strategy was it then you were just relying on your Accounting, finance, sort of background to go right. Where's the cash, and everything else? Or how how did it work for you?
1: I think I was recognizing the need, trying to perform the role to the best of my abilities and obtain the best outcome. And I I was recognizing the need to the really very critical need to involve other areas in an organization to be working with procurement, production, sales and marketing, etc. To to better comprehend the cash flow requirements. It was only once I reached state coach and it was the role was stepping up back to some extent from finance and from reporting and concentrating solely on treasury, identifying treasury risks, developing treasury strategies, and on the back of those two actions, developing procedures to implement those strategies. Now, I didn't wake up one day with that ability. Uh, some of it was well, learned.
0: You, well, you wasn't, you
1: wasn't, there wasn't a magic wand and that was it. You were uh, I I was the, you say. treasurer. <laughs> yeah, if only there was. Um, <laughs> I, I did, in the early days with Stagecoach, sit some of the ACT, AMCT exams. I sat was a, a quali- that's a qualification I gained. And th- that was useful in helping to understand the, the building blocks, the blueprint, if you like, on a treasury policy. So having a supportive CFO who was understanding that it was great fun and a great challenge to come into stagecoach and be asked to develop a treasury policy. But you really needed that those two twin pronged approach, I guess. One is understanding the business fully. Within that explaining to the business what Treasury can add. And then the other side of that is developing Treasury skills, Treasury education to be able to address those those needs. Can you just outline again?
0: I know Stagecoach, we've known it for many years, bus and rail and everything else. What 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 were the dynamic who were Stagecoach? And then we're gonna because then we're gonna step onto John Menzies. But yeah, can you explain because sure. you've got
1: these diverse different industries? Sea was was just a tremendous experience. I had six years there when I joined a FTSE 100 company. A very dynamic CFO and CEO with Brian Sutter, and CFO in time was uh, Keith Cochran, but um, replaced ultimately by Martin Griffiths. Actually, in my time, they were performing state-of-the-art transactions. We were issuing bonds which were essentially securitized and backed by. HM government guarantees connected to the Porterbrook Train Leasing Company revenue stream. I was issuing fixed rate bonds and swapping that into floating rates, issuing in different currencies, swapping that back into our functional currency. It was really, look, again, looking at it from two perspectives. One was, what does the, let's say, the ACT blueprint approach suggest? And then on the ground, What is it that the different operations believe would be adding value and protecting the investor position as well? So I was learning, the board was learning. It was at a time when the company was growing at such a rapid pace. To put it into context, this was mid to late 1990s and we actually issued a $2.25 billion dollar 32 bank syndicated facility. <laughs> I hadn't managed anything like that before. Mm-hmm. I hadn't I, I'd been involved in some amount of company funding, corporate funding, but nothing of that level. And then all of a sudden we had the credit ratings agencies requirements, the stock exchange reporting requirements, and from there issuing dollar bonds, euro bonds, skip issues on on the equity to pay down that syndicated facility so really one of my most important tasks was to keep a pace with the company development and keep the treasury i was developing with the treasury policies best able to support the company at that time and so
0: you were you know so that was as we say top 100 company in the uk the bus and rail financing and then you made a move Talk us through that next move
1: to retail and high street. So again, yeah, yeah. Interesting. John Menzies was was massively different as a corporate structure from stagecoach. However, the role itself was, was quite similar. The problem I had with Stagecoach was I had taken it as far as my role as far as it could possibly go. Treasury policies and procedures were in place. The boards were satisfied with those. I'd even implemented their first commodity hedging program, which generated substantial cash even in year one. I know that's not really the measure, but that protective measure that I identified and got board approval for was highly valuable to the company, even for the next five years after I left. Menzies, you know, it's a well-known company. They are, very much evolved nowadays in aviation ground handling, which also happened then while I was there, although at a smaller size. Um, And then it was the logistics part of moving newspapers and magazines around the UK. If you bought a newspaper or magazine in, in Scotland, you know, it's more than likely the case that John Menzies put it there. They closed their shops by that time. So it was the logistics side and it was the aviation ground handling. And what they recognised was that their, their future plans for growth would require additional liquidity, would require a strong balance sheet and appropriate hedging strategies in place. And they were looking for somebody who had gone through a similar process in identifying risks, designing strategies, and then writing the policies and procedures to implement those. So I had just spent six years doing that for for a stagecoach. It was, it was a great fit. I, I did exactly that for the next six years with, with John Menzies. And as all
0: things, you know, you thought, right, so I've done a high street. I've done uh, rail. A natural next move. Well, you, you, you've done, you done, literally, you're taking
1: off. So talk us through. After six years, one has to say that John Menzies were in a good place. They did have a strong balance sheet. I put in place multiple bank lending facilities, mostly bilateral. And I learned something really effective in John Menzies, which was the importance of relationships with banks. Our head office was, as you say, Mike, on the head office, Princess Street in Edinburgh, central Edinburgh, surrounded by banks. So it was a super opportunity to begin building relationships, understanding how the banks worked, what was important to them. And one of the key things I learned then was it does no harm to tell a banking counterparty what it is I'm trying to achieve. You know, I was learning as well. And oftentimes they would have a very good suggestion on how to achieve that. Not always, because I knew the business better, but they knew the product better, and the banking sector better. And they were able to, you know, we worked well together, I guess, but it was done, you know, by the time I left, there was nothing else to accomplish. And I was looking for, for growth, growth and to broaden my abilities, my, my not my field, if you like, beyond just treasury, beyond, I'd already gone beyond finance. Hmm. And My first role in aviation, I spent 12 years in aviation. My first role was with BMI. I was very fortunate to achieve that role. One of the aspects of the job was that I was personally responsible for their aircraft maintenance team, which I'm sure you agree is highly linked to lots of treasury things. Mm -hmm. So that that was difficult. That was a, a steeper learning curve than I had imagined. the, the key benefit from it was i was responsible for negotiating aircraft financing and aircraft lease agreements and in particular with the aircraft lease agreements they have very costly potentially costly aircraft take on and return conditions just one number to put it into perspective an aircraft engine can have if it's used up all of its flying time so that, that's referred to as zero hours hmm. if it's just left the repair shop then it's full life so it's ready to start using up its flying hours to take a, an aircraft engine from zero hours to full life that could cost around 15 million dollars for a maintenance event and i was trying to understand that technical aspect of the Lease agreements. Now the commercial aspects were fine, but as far as the detail engineering aspects were concerned, I needed to learn and and work with with my team, who we were doing that a day to day perspective. So that was bit, that was really really exciting. I, I guess you might say this as unfortunate or fortunate, depending on one's perspective. But that was two thousand and eight. <laughs> That's when I joined aviation, and someone once told me. The best way to walk away from aviation with a million dollars is to invest $11 million at the beginning. (laughs) It it was a difficult time. There were commodity hedge portfolios in place. There was a a large FX hedging book. Cash management was critical Mm. to get that right for a company that was burning through a lot of cash, operating in parts of the globe, which they just couldn't fly anymore. Mm. It was at the same time as the, I forget the volcano's name erupted. So they're also, and, and aircraft were actually grounded. So there were all sorts of reasons why I suddenly found myself also micro managing the accounts payable payment runs because mm. I needed to ensure that we had appropriate liquidity. You know this week next week next month etc i had a really good team there was one person in particular there i we actually designed a whole new cash flow forecasting model to incorporate such things as when people when you or i you know listening buys an airline ticket you can generally buy those up to 12 months ahead so we were forecasting cash flow up to 12 months ahead and trying to understand from history and from our marketing team when we could anticipate that the revenue, that the cash would come in for the revenue for the flight, which had been forecast in the latest budget. So we developed something quite technical, which seemed to work accurately enough to give us the ability to you know, approve payment runs for accounts payable, to be paying pre-delivery payments for aircraft, etc. It was a great, it was a great fun, but a, quite a stressful time as well, I guess.
0: And then, if that wasn't stressful enough, you thought hmm, a bit more aviation, please, but a wider role, bigger role. What came next?
1: It's always been, a, for me, growth. Where can I grow next? If if I can't grow in in treasury or in financing, which I've, i we're always trying to, is is there somewhere else. And Erlingus Lingus, based in Dublin, came up with. This role which was actually managing insurance and tax and treasury also. Now, I would say, I, I do say this, I've enjoyed all of my roles to date and uh, the variety of sectors that you mentioned, but I always say my six years at Aer Lingus in Dublin were the most enjoyable and, and fulfilling. Ireland, as you know, has two very successful airlines. Hmm. Um, it also has the world's, largest aircraft leasing sector. It's just a it was just a great place to be. I loved my roles there. To put aircraft leasing into perspective, which I've done quite a bit of now, taking you right right back here. So 1975, Guinness Pete Aviation Aircraft Leasing was formed by a gentleman called Tony Ryan of Ryanair fame, one of the first aircraft leasing companies. And and it grew tremendously well to a point where it was in spawning out professionals, which whom are still, some of whom are still working in that field today. Now here's some more numbers, try not to give too many numbers. So <laughs> as of today, there's approximately 27,000 commercial aircraft flying in the sky. Just under 50% of those aircraft are actually leased. Hmm. And forty percent of that, fifty percent are leased out of Ireland. That's how important That's how important that business sector is. We're talking, I don't know, leased aircraft flying today. Market value probably well over three hundred billion US dollars. Now, there's multiple lessors working in Ireland today. But what that's resulted in, for me in my role as treasurer for Aer Lingus, I had a a business infrastructure with a historical expertise and second to none there were tax professionals, aircraft experts and the country has a justifiable pride in its aviation sector and it does support it with with tax advantages as well I I guess but that's all fine. So I, I was hired for the role, an excellent CFO, he had a tremendous reputation. He inspired people to reach beyond their comfort zone. And that's, that's something I've always wanted to have in my treasury career. So that was great for me. And I was continuing to try to connect with all parts of business. Some context in that would be it manifested itself when I was part of a small team, team of two, charged to create from scratch an aircraft leasing company. So that, that involved all of my skills. Finance, treasury, tax, operational learnings that I'd made over time. And we went out. We, we First of all, of course, we obtained board approval for our plans. We arranged aircraft purchase and delivery, aircraft financing. That aircraft financing did and usually would have security over the aircraft and the lease rentals. And then we released those aircraft, released them out. And then the final part, which I had some experience of then, was managing the aircraft maintenance events, trying not to lose, lose the company's shirt from costly events that needed to be funded appropriately. Uh-huh. That was the big reason for going in, and it worked out very well that I, I did grow my, my knowledge base and my skill base beyond treasury which allowed me to better perform my treasury
0: role i've seen this with a few other treasurers but certainly when you get to that level of expertise that you're adding value because of the i call it the, you know i've told sometimes treasury plus so you do you know you get to your role as treasurer and then it's treasury plus you've got these skills plus this plus this and you've got these understanding these and it becomes less of an inward role which i think treasury by its very nature again turn of the century you and I when was sometimes a bit more inward then it becomes much more outward and you know the linkages across the company now certainly with you you then you know stepped up another gear you know you'd had a, a team at aer lingus you made an international move but again it was a sort of a step up in terms of you know
1: definitely treasury plus 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 can you talk us through that i've always taken the approach to perform treasury better I have to understand the operation is better,
0: mm.
1: but their language actually involved that. And again, I'm fairly repetitive in my career approach. Explaining to people what it is I'm trying to do, and how I think I can best achieve that, and it's perhaps in some way trying to sell my idea to them. But I was always, I've always been open to a different perspective, mm. another approach. Which should be considered because you know that's why we have different areas so we can have different experts in, in each of those to provide help support in achieving the, the best outcome yes it was Treasury plus but that makes the, the core Treasury part perform that much better yeah well, you've got to have that as it's sort of
0: in your back pocket at se and stuff so talk us about then the, the move to you know internationally you know what 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 drew you to that and what happened next?
1: Yeah, We've had the takeover of Air Lingus they were now entering into the IEG group Hmm. everything was in place and to add some perspective both BMI and Air Lingus flew at that time 65 aircraft Hmm. Qatar Airways made the approach and they were flying 250 aircraft with the uh, respective financing needs and balance sheet uh, control requirements, and then they were adding on to that. Here we go again, Mike. A, an additional growth opportunity yep. to to manage their fuel procurement program. Now at that time they were spending just over five billion U.S. dollars on fuel per annum, and I was responsible for managing that and a team of fifty. Just relax, put your feet up. Um, it's great fun. I, I never knew how interesting the annual RFP for fuel procurement could be. It's a challenge. There's value to be lost or won there. Again, they're the really good team. It's a really well-run company, and it was a good learning curve for me. And that was my largest team uh, with 50 people in overall. You know, improving my always improving you know, improving my le- my management skills. My, my networking within Qatar Airways, locally, also you know meeting with the Ministry of Finance. I actually had to, the good fortune to join the Aviation Body Treasury Committee as well, which was which was great fun. IATA, sorry, I was couldn't remember the acronym. Then the IATA Treasury Treasury Committee, and then you know interacting with other treasurers um, from other airlines who lo and behold are experiencing very similar issues to what I was experiencing and within the realms of allowability sharing our solutions and, and trying to get you know, best practice spread throughout the industry, that, that was great fun
0: And you did that and what was it like I talked before about treasury can take you around the world, you know you'd you'd made the moves from the UK, then you'd you know, headed out to Ireland, and then this was a move to Qatar. What what was it like for you
1: embodying that treasury? Because I know that you loved it as well, didn't you? Yeah, we had a, we had a great time. It's very different. I found working in treasury in the UK was quite different from working in treasury in in Ireland. It was quite different from working in treasury in the Middle East. So, one has to take time and understand local cultures and be polite towards that and work within whichever boundaries are, are being set. Ways of raising finance in the Middle East can be quite different from raising finance in in the UK or US, and, that, and that's fine. It's it's no better or worse, it's just different. I'd highly recommend to anyone if they have the opportunity. Treasury is a very transportable skill. If people are prepared to, to grow their knowledge base, be open to understanding different industries, then we should definitely take that and take it to travel with as well. And then you return to the UK. Talk us through the next move. So three and a half years with Canter Airways, the peak of COVID, family reasons, it just wasn't tenable to, to stay away so far any longer. So I, I, I resigned there. And returned. I was all again fortunate. I joined first Quantum Minerals, the, the sixth largest copper mining company on the planet. Some smaller mines which they're running down, but three main mines: two, two in Zambia and one in Panama. The most, the youngest, is Panama, and that cost somewhere between six billion and seven billion U.S. dollars. It took several years to complete, and. Has been running fully since September 2019. I think it is. There was a COVID interruption, but other than that, it's one of the best run, if not the best run, copper mines on on the planet. So, what did I know about copper mining or any kind of mining before joining First Quantum? Yeah, that's correct. Your assumption is quite correct. Nothing. I, you know, I'm never slow to to admit that when I joined aviation. After one week with BMI, I went on a week long aviation finance course. When I joined First Quantum, I went and took an online mining course, which I passed well, and and then started speaking with people. Everything we need as treasurers is out there. It's just taking the time to work out how best to achieve it. Some of that, you know, taking an online mining course, you have to put in the hours yourself you know it's hard it's cold it's dark it needs to be done (laughs) The, uh, the other part of that is getting out you know and visiting the mine sites you know i've been very fortunate to be in panama multiple times zambia multiple times touring the mines talking to people locally trying to understand better their processes where their hot spots are always with a mind to how can i make this run better what could we What could we be doing here? Do we need to change the banking service provider? Do we need to manage this liquidity more strictly? Or what cash requirement is around the corner that I can be planning for, my team can be planning for, to enable this mine to run to its best without any interruptions? And then, you know, look into the future
0: and, you know, some of the things that are coming along in the way of Treasury, if you like, and... We were just talking before the show that there's the UK conference. I'm heading off to Chicago for Windy City. You know, we'll we'll see each other at various conferences. What are the things you're keeping an eye on? You're looking over your shoulder, you're not nervous, you're a treasurer, you're a very, very experienced treasurer. But the things that you're thinking about in treasury terms or world terms, you know, sometimes it's about staffing, sometimes it's about cyber, sometimes it's about different any multitude of things what are the things that are on your mind if you like we're not well not at the end of the show but not far off but you know what is each you thinking
1: i guess there's a couple for me yes i, I come on to esg in a moment but before then the last few years i believe have seen a shift in treasurers and cfo cfo's concern on where liquidity comfort is coming from in the past we could rely on cash in the bank, of course, so long as you're ensuring appropriateness of the counterparty credit risk Mm -hmm. and things like uh, revolving credit facility. Now, I think if you were to look across all industry sectors and ask, what did they do when COVID hit hard in 2019? If they had an RCF, they probably drew that RCF down fully and put the money in the bank. Better to have it to hand, you know, but is that exchanging one concern for another? You know, the concern of would the RCF funds be available for, or would they be prepared to be made available for, is that cash going to be secure in the, with the counterparties it's been placed with? So I think there's a a definite shift there in how corporates will be providing their liquidity over the over the coming years i'm not saying i have the answer to it i i just think depending on the circumstance there might be a different approach taken i also you know with first quantum i keep using the word treasury can be a a great career and it, it has been and is being for me in in my three years with first quantum you know we had two years of consecutive credit ratings upgrades i managed to successfully Worked with the team there to issue a $1.5 billion fixed rate bond. I also arranged a $2.9 billion 15 bank syndicated loan facility plus some other loan financings. Looking on that, I think it's just being, being ready and being open for new experiences that just because it was different doesn't mean that I couldn't go in and be successful. I was fortunate to get to some quite a few Income Investor Conferences for First Quantum representing the company. Even in March this year, I attended an equity conference with our CEO and the IR team representing the company there. And this is a good segue, I guess, into ESG. Over the last couple of years, that's been a a very... It it moves from not really being discussed to a hot topic to, yes, now it's discussed, but Investors are becoming more sophisticated in their understanding of what corporates can do. We're talking about First Quantum at the moment. Copper is a critical mineral. We can't have a greener environment without companies like First Quantum producing copper. It's just necessary. A battery-operated car uses three to four times as much copper as a combustion engine car, for instance. You know, wind power needs a lot more copper. So what corporates will, will be doing is, to the best of their abilities, reducing the, their carbon footprint. But I think there's limits. I think we're learning there are limits to what can be achieved. Hmm. On the S and the G side, for Quantum. again, we're very forward-looking. The CFO who hired me put in place a, an ESG manager who does a tremendous role. And it's having the time and resource to understand the corporate's footprint for environmental, social and governments, and then be explaining to investors and to banks what the company is is doing about that. It's a, it's a great area. It, it's going to grow and I'm quite certain of it. will we ever get to the point where investors only invest in zero or, or net zero carbon emitting companies I, I don't believe personally that's possible but certainly not the technology isn't there to provide that today okay. but it's but it it is important corporates recognize that and guess what that, that also impacts treasury the treasury will need to understand it as, as best they can and so as we wrap up the show, as we do each and every week, we'll put your
0: LinkedIn details in the show notes so people can, you can expand your LinkedIn network, if you like. What takeaways are you going to give to the audience listening today? What, what sort of, what are the things they should be thinking about if you're early stages of your career, maybe mid or late? Or you know, what are the takeaways that you would give to someone? You've heard the show a few times, who's so had this
1: closing closing piece. What, what are you going to give? For me, I, I might be being repetitive, but it's critical for anyone working in treasury just entering as a newbie or having been here for two or three decades not to see treasury as a standalone discipline it cannot be successful if it doesn't fully integrate with the other parts of any organization always consider business needs first and and then try to understand how treasury could add value it's a process Mm -hmm. With that understanding of added value potential, socializing the proposal to the impacted areas for their input, it's not going to happen until the positions are aligned and agreed upon. And then education, I think education is important, but that doesn't need to be of just in Treasury. I think I've demonstrated, you know, I've taken education in, in mining, in aviation financing, it all helps. It all helps perform one's role that much better.
0: Thank you, sir. So yeah, not stand alone, adding value. And we've got other bits there as well about education. So yeah, just you'll get loads of value, you guys listening today. Thank you very much, sir. And we'll put your LinkedIn details the show notes. And as I say, look forward to catching up with you in real life, not just virtually, over audio, over everything else very soon. Thanks very much. Sir.
1: Thank you very much, Mike. Great talking to you. Thanks.